Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome to the MVP cast from me, Mark Woods. Thank you so much for joining us and making time to, to listen in. My guest on this edition is one of the, the bright young minds of, of British basketball. He's been a player back in the day when we were young. He's been a coach for quite some time and now he is back raring to go in this new BBL season as the head coach of the Manchester Giants. Lloyd Gardner, welcome to the MVP cast. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate the intro, appreciate the... Uh... The offers come on, and I appreciate you calling me young as well. So thank you very much. <laughs> if you're young, I'm young, so it's a fair trade. Um, let's start with Giants. Um, you know, you came in halfway through last season, and you know, when a coach takes over mid-year, it's always a bit of a you know firefighting. You've got to go with the resources that you've 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 been handed already. Year two, what changes? How do you shape? the culture of the the team and and everything behind it differently when it's you've had a summer to go at this um well i, I think it's obviously the the biggest shift is is you can sign different players and um you know i thought we had a really i, I liked the group of players we had last year um you know we had some great individuals we had some some really good characters within the group as well i didn't think that necessarily we we meshed together well um, as as individual pieces, not being able to kind of put them together. So hopefully, this year it's it's more of a collection of of pieces rather than you know the individuals that we can work together. Um, and you know something I think that the club is big big on is this British core of players that should be the ones that are establishing the culture, that should be the ones that are pushing the club forward. And I think if you look, you know, clubs like a Leicester, for instance, have been that there at the top of the league in recent years, well, they've done it off the back of a, a British core of players that has been there in there year in and year out. And they've brought in some Americans, you know, they may come or go, but that longevity and also, you know, that British core being key. So that was something that was really key to us. Um, you know, something we kind of focused on, some high character pieces that we, we managed to secure early. Um, we brought back some of the English guys that we thought, again, could build into that you know that character that we were looking for um and then we you know we supplemented it with some americans and and then we kind of got lucky at the end of the summer with with the dan clark signing as well which hopefully has taken us and you know pushed us forward even more how do you use or sort of lean on someone like dan who's got experience and insight of some of the best clubs in in spain and they lost some of the best clubs in europe i mean have you picked his brains or asked him to kind of share his insights with those other players to push things up to raise that bar i i think dan does that naturally um you know he's a very experienced player in you know he's been across europe he's played at a really high level and he is a leader in in himself as well so you know i think he brings in an expectation to the rest of the team in the way that they're executing and the way that they're practicing and the way they're doing everything. So I think that, you know, naturally he does a really good job of talking both collectively to the group and to individuals as well with the little bits where he can help them. And, you know, I feel that I get along well with Dan. He's, he's one of those type of guys. He loves to challenge. He wants to make everything better. He's a, a competitive person as I am. So, you know, I think that we, 
would be stupid not to lean on his experience. But at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, with some of our other guys, we do the same thing. We've obviously got guys who are experienced within the BBL. Um, and then we've also got guys like Will Saunders as well, Josh Steele, who have played, you know, in different countries abroad as well, that they bring their experiences. So I think that balance of coaching is always, you know, trying to make sure you are still the leader at the top. But, you know, you want to listen to the opinions of your players and, you know, take what they're sort of feeding back to you and take it and make it better and, and push the team on. I mean, you had to wait a long, long time, far too long, as some of us would say, to get a shot at being a, a professional head coach or a head coach of a professional team in this country. When you sit down and, you know, at the start of a, a summer and before you went to Royals or, or coming into Manchester this year, but what's what's the culture of a Lloyd Gardner team look like? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I, yeah, I culture's a, a, a big word and, and those people that know me know I'm, I'm not kind of a big culture type guy. Um, I think I have expectations of my players and that kind of builds a culture. So I would say traditionally, even when I wasn't coaching at the professional level, I'd always want my teams to play hard. I'd always want them to look organized and to look, you know, like they were trying to do the right things in my, you know, basketball experience. So unselfish players trying to do things the right way and and playing hard are probably the the biggest things um, that that I could kind of pull over after that. I think the culture is defined by the players that you recruit. So, you know, for me this year, it was, you know, and generally great athletes. Usually I like a lot of guys that can shoot. I like perimeter play. So they would probably be the things you'd point to towards, you know, me as a coach that I would, that I would gravitate to. Um, you know, I find it hard to define culture um, in many ways, as I think it's just something that you're you're supposed to do and you're supposed to turn up to work and work every day. And I think a culture is just created from that, that expectations that you have on each other. What's, I mean, for this season, and you, you sit down with Jimmy Edwards, the, the club's owner, or director, at the start of the summer, and you know, it was always pretty certain you were going to go back for, for year two. But what's... What's the goals that have been set for this year, particularly with that better domestic core, you know, a club that's that's talked about being bigger and better. You know, what what's the ambition for this year? Um, it, it hasn't been defined in, in in that way. You know, I can't really point to oh a top four finish or a top eight finish or a, you know anything like that. I, I think at this moment in time, you know, the club has been in a transition um, that we have. You know, we're trying to move things on. I, I think that's the most important thing. In the past, the club had a lot of part-time players. They had a lot of guys that still worked. Um, you know, it, it was it was more of a part-time scenario uh, for, for them to exist. So I think with Jamie's uh, introduction, I thought last year, you know, that, that massively changed. And I think, again, this year we've been able to, you know, do some great work over the summer for not really increasing our budget, but just generally putting a group on the floor, which hopefully can be more competitive than we were last year. Um, and I think that there's on the floor and there's off the floor where the club, everybody within it knows, well, we've got to take step forwards. So on the floor, we need to perform better and get better results than we did. Um, you know, off the floor, we need to move forward in terms of, like we said, like 
you know, having more professional players, being able to, to house them better, being able to look after them off the floor with medical and everything like that better than traditionally was done in the past. So I think, yeah, absolutely. The steps are there. And, and as I've said before, you know, Manchester as a city is it's a sporting city. It's a, it's a basketball city in many senses as well. And it deserves a professional franchise, which is up there with the top in the BBL. So how long does is that going to take? I'm not really sure. If you look at, you know, the traditional powers of the BBL, uh, you know, without kind of uh, criticising it, well, Lions, Newcastle, Leicester, if, if they're seen as the top three at this moment in time, well, those are clubs that have had probably 10 years on what, um, you know, Jamie and the management here have for the Manchester Giants. So I think... Yeah, the the plan is to move it forward and to keep pushing forward. But at the moment, um, there's still a lot um, that we've got to got to do to get better. Go back a couple of years. I mean, we talked about Royals. Yeah, and an interesting setup as it turned out. I mean, you you went there after thirteen years at Barking Abbey, so there was a big leap there for you and a big opportunity. And of course, mid season, all goes wrong. Club collapses. You can sit back with a bit of perspective now. How do you view that entire experience from a personal perspective? Um, well, interestingly, uh, quite positively, I, I know that sounds a, a stupid thing to say in many ways, but um, yeah, it, 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 I, I think Royals gave me, you know, on a personal level, the kind of kickstart to try and move in to the professional game away from Barking Abbey. Um, so from that sense... Uh, I think it opened perhaps other people's eyes to me as a coach as well. So that was a, a huge positive as well. You know, when I was presented with that opportunity, if I didn't leave uh, Barking Abbey, where I'd been there for a long time, I would have to accept essentially at that point, I would stay as an academy coach. Um, so the decision there was, well, if ever I wanted my coaching, if ever I wanted to go further in it, the, the next logical step was to go from being an academy coach to pro a professional one. And the, the realities um are as you said earlier that there isn't many opportunities um so you know you look within the bbl there's only a limited number of teams there are a lot of those coaches that haven't you know left in a, in a long time so it means opportunities for new to coaches to come up don't happen very often so you know at the time that royals was there my decision was well if i don't take this now then I may never get this chance again. It was a chance for me to stay. I wouldn't have to move. I could still stay in London. There was no kind of major jump from that perspective. So, yeah, even though it was, you know, it was a disastrous ending, um, I look back at the relationship I have with a lot of the players from the Royals as well. And I think we went through a lot, which which kind of brought us pretty closely together. Um, so I enjoy seeing them and watching how successful they've been since that moment. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think it has actually opened some some doors for me personally that um, probably wouldn't have been there if I if I hadn't have taken that leap of faith. And, you know, through the pandemic and everything along those lines, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, getting older in my years, I, I've definitely learned to be a bit more kind of adventurous and and things like that rather than safe, because, you know, planning can be great when but then a pandemic comes <laughs> around, and you don't really know what's around the corner. So. Yeah, I think it, it was a bit of a uh, a defining moment for me um, in terms of a personal journey, for sure. Saying that, a lot of coaches have had that one job in the BBL, mm -hmm. particularly British coaches, and then never got another shot again. Were you concerned that you, know, you 
you might not get that other call. We, you know, what were you doing to, you know, try and engineer at that next opportunity? Yeah, I, I, I think the the reality is for British coaches within the BBL or within British basketball, the the problem often is that there aren't many jobs that uh, will enable you to uproot and travel and go somewhere else to be able to take them, especially if you have a family, especially if you're settled along those lines. So that is why coaches don't generally do it. Um, the package on offer isn't able to attract them. So um, I was I was actually offered a job in Germany uh, over the summer, um, but I decided it wasn't the right thing for me or for my family at that moment in time, which I probably made the right decision looking back on it just because COVID continued into that next season. It was a, you know, it was, it was, it would have been hard for me to be in Germany um, at that time. And I, I basically accepted, well, we'll see what happens. There's nothing I can control about it. I'll just continue to do what I do. And hopefully, you know, I was able to kind of show enough when I, did have that opportunity coaching the Royals that I was able to coach at that level. And then, you know, the opportunity with Jamie came around and yeah, I was excited by the project. And, and so, yeah, luckily I was offered that second chance. He said a lot of people don't get, and I'm, I'm truly thankful for that. And I know how hard it is to get into the BBL. What's it like working with Jamie? Because you know he's played, he's been around sport and broadcast and lots and lots of different things. I mean, what, how do you, how do you lean on him and maybe how does he lean into you? I think, yeah, we we definitely both lean on each other. I, I, I like Jamie a lot. I, I um I feel like we have a good working relationship. I, I you know, Jamie understands elite sport, number one. So from, from that side of things, um I think it, it it's great. You know, it's a it's a good relationship. You can talk to him about the way things should be and, and what needs to improve and he gets it. He he absolutely understands. Um, where the club needs to go, where it needs to make these improvements. His his background in basketball is absolutely an even bigger bonus because not only does he understand elite sport, he also understands the game. So, you know, that's a big positive as well. Um, you know, the reality is he's got, he, we have a massive job in Manchester to try and, you know, take the club where we want it. So, yeah, we we are all at the point now where I think we understand where we need to improve and where we need to go to but we've got to do the the how. How are we going to do that? Um, you know, and that's something we've got to we kind of all got to do together. And it's going to it, that will be the evaluation of how successful we are. Really, you know, how we can get to these points where we know we, we have to improve. How do you take that though into the, the next level in the city? Because you know, you and I've you and I've bumped into each other in so many different countries. And you know, with barking, <laughs> you got a chance to go and go to tournaments and learn off. Other, you know, other places, other cultures. I mean, you know, what what have you brought back that you kind of can say to Jamie or you know, off your own bat now? Go, this is how we can make the Manchester Giants something more akin to the Giants of old. I, well, for for me, I think, um, you know, I I, I think we have the on court playing, but but also what I, what I don't think the BBL has successfully done yet is truly provide you know a consistent pathway for players to come through um i don't think it's truly given a a a, an alternative option for kids going to the us and and i think that's probably the the growth that i i would look at as well as somebody who's been involved in 
that that side of things is trying to set things up that we can start to see younger players coming through truly making an impact and being you know like a Cameron Hildreth last year mm. in the rotation at Surrey and, and playing and and being at that level I, I would love to be part of a club that does that I know that Jamie is massive in terms of wanting to develop Manchester basketball. Uh, we have a junior club, which is a great level, and we want to push it on um, and start to have some of those younger talents start to practice with the BBL team, start to play in the BBL team, start to you know, truly become superstars with their own city. I think that's not easy to do, and I think you're always going to lose kids to the US, but I think there's plenty of talent in this country that we can we can do that we can develop our own um and really especially with brexit now and how everything's happening there you know try to get the bbl at a point where it can sustain the talent that we have because at the moment i'm not i'm not sure it can um you know it's it's hard the clubs just aren't able to do that they're not able to sustain talent staying within the country or staying within the sport, perhaps the way we all want it to. Because when you look back to Barking Abbey, I mean, it, it was, it was, and is such a trailblazer. I mean, it's it's still one of the few proper academies that we've got in this country, and it's produced so many players that you know have either come through it initially or have moved to there to to, to further their their learning, etc. Does it surprise you when you go back to when you joined there about? or 16 years ago now that the structure really hasn't advanced that much it, it, everything's difficult you know not, nothing is easy I think that uh, the thing I say to people as well is what I think people don't realise is our academy structure it is if other countries could copy that the structure that we have they would so, you know, if Spain could have the academy structure that we have, they would do it, but they don't have that opportunity. So I think that is the strongest probably element of our entire, um, you know, development pathway or even British basketball at this moment in time is the, the academy structure that we have. I think we've, we've got to continue and it's been identified uh, trying to attract younger players into it, trying to lay, raise the level of the players going into the academy structure. And then I think, well, you know, those coming out, that that's also the thing. Well, what, what are the opportunities for those coming out? Because some will be ready and should be going into professional basketball. For those that aren't able to do that, or w what are the options? So I, when I was at Barkin, I would help send more players to the US than anybody else. But it's, it's fundamentally not always the best option for every player. But when, you know you're 17 years old, you're 18 years old, you're offered a full scholarship to go to university in America. You have college coaches coming over repeatedly to watch you play, calling you on the phone, actively recruiting you. And then within the BBL or within our professional game, nobody contacts you. Nobody offers you anything. You have to go to them to say, oh, I'd be quite interested to be playing on your team. And if you want to continue your education, you're paying fees of £9,000 a year to be mm. able to do it. So it's hard for a 17, 18-year-old to make those decisions um, when it seems so slanted the other way. And I think that's what I would like to see as the next stage, just integrating the pathway with the BBL a little bit more, the BBL perhaps looking at opportunities it might have to, to help with that, whether it's um, 
some sort of second teams, whether it's a you know another league. I've been a proponent of uh, like a system like the French have, where the each pro team has a, a youth team below it that plays you know a, a warm up game before the pro teams play. So if you have a team, you know, two teams playing in Pro A before that game, the junior teams from those two teams will play. And it's up to the age of 21. They're allowed some older players. And I think something like that would be a, a great opportunity for the BBL. But it all comes back to finance at the moment. You know, BBL teams have gone through a pandemic and, and it, it's tough. So we might have all these great aspirations of doing all these things, but a lot of them come back to money. So we have to learn to generate the money we have to learn to get money within the game and before we can spend it really and that's that's always been a massive challenge when you go back to when you were a player and you you came through were rebels but then went mm. on to towers and then and, and leopards for for a year apiece did, did it feel like then i mean i think you were just at the end of your teens for both but did mm. it feel like it was easier to get that opportunity as that kind of that age to get on and play, you know, it wasn't huge minutes, but at least to no. be part of that system. I, I would say yes and no. The advantage I had was I knew coaches at, at both those mm. programs. So I, I won't, um, you know, say that I was scouted or brought in or that I was this great level player and able to do that. And it was nepotism. You know, many, that's what it was. Yeah, about. basically. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, there was plenty of other players that I played with at, at the same ages that could have taken those opportunities and, you know, could could have been offered in that way, um, for sure. But so I, I don't know if it's it, I don't know if it's necessarily changed. I, I think that there has to be a coming together because, you know, politically, if Basketball England are responsible for the development of youth players, if the BBL is the professional game, they need they need to be working together, um, and it, that's going to be a long process. And I think that that you know Basketball England needs to engage with the professional league, and the pro league needs to understand why it needs. It needs basketball England but to generate better players for it and to, to have younger players and, and things along those lines as well. So, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's very easy to say. It's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, we should do this and we should do that. And there's lots of other people that probably think they're great ideas, but how how we do it is always it's, it's difficult. It, re- it really is. You have those two years as a, effectively as a professional. But at mm. what point within all of this thinking do you go actually you know what i reckon coaching that's where I'm, that's where i'm supposed to be yeah um not really sure so you know when i was young i, I played for dave titmus who is a, a very well regarded mm. coach uh, across generations and um I, i'll never forget when i was probably 16 i you know, we won a team award. I, don't, I can't even remember whether it was like a coach's award or something. And I remember, you know, vividly this, him talking about me because I'd won this award and said, well, Lloyd's going to be a better coach than he is a player. And I was always quite a leader as a player. I was always the, you know, the extension of the, the coach, the point guard on the floor. I was never the most physically gifted or, or best player. Um, but, you know, IQ wise, I was always pretty good. And that, that helped me. Um, so then I, after playing professionally or playing with the PPL teams, I went to the US, I came back and I, I went to university in Reading to finish. Um, and it was at that point, really, I started to coach um, with Matt Johnson, Gary Johnson um, at Reading, because part of the deal there is 
you know the way for you to earn your keep and to be part of the team they would give you hours to coach within the community program and to to coach um you know one of the youth teams so that was like my first real experience of doing kind of team coaching um in that sense i'd before done camps and, and various things um and then i took the job at barking having no mark mark clark um and to be honest when i took the job at barking i wasn't sure coaching was for me even <laughs> then um you know i i loved it and i jo- enjoyed it and i think that i probably got the bug from the players that were there that that kind of motivated me i mean joe Wick and win just you know recently retired which makes me feel really old <laughs> but he was part of the first group of barking abbey and it was it was players like him you know constantly wanting to get better wanting to work out wanting to be doing stuff every day and me basically just wanting to help them that i kind of you know did more and more coaching and tried to help and you know it's just kind of slowly evolved from there and and if i'm honest i would say probably even six or seven years now probably more than that 10 years ago i still wasn't sure coaching was for me um i i'm, I'm quite a laid-back character i'm quite um you know quiet i don't have a, a fiery personality as as many top level coaches especially in europe do so i always wondered whether i would have that that kind of you know that fear factor or the presence to be able to coach um it was almost what my worry to be honest with you but i think coaching has changed i think the you know younger generation has changed where actually my personality probably suits better for a lot of them coming through now anyway um and yeah over time just enjoying the job i suppose has, has kind of made my love grow more and more so. how do you how do you transition that though into professional game where yeah there's a lot more analytical tools available particularly if you're putting together a team you know you've you've got a lot more stats based stuff and video based stuff that you know when you're coaching younger kids it's much more about their abilities now it's it's much more about you know, recruitment and how people will fit and, and everything that goes along with that. I mean, it, was there a learning curve for you there or is there still a learning curve? Um, I, I would say, n- number one, um, it actually makes your job a lot easier because <laughs> you, have, you have all these tools. So it's, uh, things like Synergy, well, they're, they're great. I can mm. flick through the clips and watch people play and produce scout reports in half the time I used to be able to do it when I didn't have any of those, you know, the fancy software or anything like that. So in that sense, you know, moving up the levels is, is makes your life a lot easier. Um, you know, here at the Giants, I, I, um, I would lean heavily. We have, you know, a great coaching staff, Tom Fletcher, Pluto Vitalis as well. And, and I leaned a lot on those guys. So Tom especially um, is more of a behind the scenes coach, to be honest with you. And he's massively involved in statistical analysis and you know is just an encyclopedia when it comes to players and databasing so all of our americans this year were you know first highlighted by tom um so he's the one that would come and say look here's a group of players look at these players look at these players look at these players we would discuss what type of the types of players we'd want he would give me a list to go and look at and then I would go through and just, you know, watch the clips and watch the games and see how they fit and just make those judgments. Um, so I, I wouldn't have said it's necessarily harder from that sense uh, or that there was a, a learning curve. I was always pretty conscious when putting teams together that understanding team dynamics, understanding personality, understanding, you know, the different styles and how they'll mesh together. Um, so, and I think you can do that even 
at a level like Barking, where it's more development than you know necessarily winning, you've also got to make sure at that point, well, are, are you putting a piece together? Are you putting a team together that will allow each of those players to thrive in the role that they need to in order to develop and in order to move on? So I think that you know that doesn't really change. Obviously, the level of the player changes massively. But apart from that, it's still the, the dynamics of team play still hold across, you know, from the youth level into the professional ranks. The other aspect of basketball that you've been involved in is TV. And you know, again, we so we've we've we keep crossing paths almost every summer when you know we've both been doing different roles at different tournaments. I mean, you you've got to watch a lot of basketball and gone to to big tournaments and you know spoken to people up close. That must be an incredible tool when you're. Having that that access and that insight, you know, we we've we've get into practices and we get to talk to coaches and you know chat to people over dinner and things like that. I mean, as an asset for for any young coach, that must be fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. I I cannot, you know, uh, echo that more. To be honest with you, um, you know, the the fact that I, I you know I've commentated for a long time means I've sat and I've watched and taken in and watched you know you get to go into timeouts you get to go and you know watch plays and, and styles and, and and differences across the world and it's it's fantastic and I, I think that you know the thing about commentary is sometimes you may put a game on and you don't have a vested interest in the game so it, it, I I come to India versus um, you know Iran well I probably wouldn't turn on India versus Iran, but but when you're commentating, you sit there and you watch. You go, quite, that's great. I love that, and you're able to take things from the game, um, and, and experience you know very different styles across the world, which which is great to do. And then, like you say, the the opportunity to go to tournaments to watch you know exceptional coaches firsthand is yeah yeah life changing. I I think that's massively helped my coaching. I think it's massively developed me and my kind of style of coaching and what I look for and what I find attractive and what I'm trying to aspire to. So, yeah, I point to that as a, as a massive, massive advantage I've been able to get. What's been, here's a two-part question, what's been your favourite <laughs> game you've commentated on and what's been your favourite tournament? Oh, um, I, well, favourite tournament, I would say uh, probably 2004. 11 Eurobasket because it was my first tournament mm. so from from that sense I, I truly enjoyed that I'm a big fan of, of Afrobasket I, I, I did Afrobasket um, for two years 2013 and 2015 and it, when I was on the under 20 uh, GB team Andreas Kapoulis and Josh Merrington my assistant coaches used to make fun of me for talking about Afrobasket so often so <laughs> you know I have to say my Afrobaskets were, were up there I enjoy them um, you know I love that I love that again just watching African basketball and the, the differences between you know all the teams on, on that continent oh individual game um, crikey I, I don't know if I can point to one to be honest with you um yeah i we probably i was lucky to go to the the basketball champions league final four and i'd probably say ike winning in athens at the final four was probably just because of the atmosphere it being in ike the greek fans uh cheering the team on that would probably be yeah probably that Probably that game. 
Yeah, you can't beat the Greeks for a passion. No. Oh, just yeah, tremendous atmosphere. And I haven't haven't commentated in Serbia, so that's you know definitely on the bucket list. I wanted to be able to do that. I want to be able to experience that that atmosphere or or go to games there. But yeah, just the opportunity, as you said, to go to places like that and you know see the Greek fans in a European Cup final was was yeah just something I won't forget for sure. Last couple of things, GB. It's always you know, international basketball has always been something you've you've floated in and out of over the years. Um, yeah, you know, you've had the time with the other twenties and obviously assistant coach with the senior team. How much you know? How much is that a, a passion project to be able to, you know, effectively pull on the national jersey in a sense and and be able to contribute in that aspect of of British basketball? Um. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think everybody wants to be. It's it. It should be the highest honour in our game. So, you know, to be able to be a national team coach, it, I, I'm supremely proud of being able to do that and enjoyed my time there. Enjoyed the people that I said. You know, when I was working with with Mark at Stutel and Josh Merrington, Andreas, guys like that. You know, it, it was fantastic to be able to kind of coach alongside those and coach uh, when. Tony Garbolotto brought me into the senior national team. I'd never been at that level before. So, you know, I'm I'm grateful to him for taking a chance on me as a young coach at the time I was at Barkin Abbey. So, you know, I think he, he saw that potentially it would help me in my career. And I think that's what national teams should do is is try and help people. Um, yeah, I've, I was, I'd loved being a part of it. Um, you know, it was fantastic. It's a... Oh, it's a frustration at times. That's that's the problem because you just you want to do as well as you can. You you want to win and you take every loss uh, so hard. The trouble with the national team is a window here, a window there, and if you have a bad window, unlike a, a, a traditional season, that's it. You've got to wait another six months before you can make up for it. Or if you you know you do a, a, an under twenty championships in the summer and it doesn't go well, it's a whole another year before you can do it again. So. Yeah, that was that's the thing I dislike about it for sure. Is is yeah, it's it's very emotional, um, both highs and lows. Was is the aspiration to to be back and doing something with GB? Um, I would never say no. Um, I, yeah, to be honest with you, like they they haven't spoken to me since you know. So yeah, I, I wasn't particularly happy with how it ended with GB. To be honest with you, but. Um, yeah, like absolutely. I'd always love to be there, and and if they feel that I can help, then I would love to be able to do that. I wouldn't say it's necessarily an as- aspiration high on my list, but yeah, if I was if I was asked, I would always be keen to help, and you know, hopefully make things better if if I was able to do that. You've got enough on your plate. You've got a busy year ahead. You know, Giant, Giants winning trophies. That's what it's all about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, uh, anyway, Lloyd, we appreciate you spending some time with the podcast. Um, good luck this season. Let's hope it's um, it, it goes smoothly. And um, yeah, that Dan Clark, you know, he's, he, he's all right. He'll be, he'll do fine for you. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate the offer, Mark. Thanks, Lloyd. Uh, that is it for this edition of the MVP Cast. Don't forget, you can get all your basketball news at MVP247.com. Make sure you sign up for weekly newsletter the post up at the website you can reach out to me on twitter at mark Brittbull. but thank you so much for listening for this edition for me mark woods it's bye for now <laughs>